Okay, so this episode we're going to be going over hypertension. So, um, as you remember, just going to bring you back to our good old equation. Blood pressure equals cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance. So when either of those, so if either cardiac output increases or the resistance throughout the system increases, you're going to get an increase in blood pressure. Why do we worry about this? Blood pr- Increased blood pressure can increase the risk of strokes. It can increase the risk of um, MIs, renal disease. There are so many things that we need to be worried about in a patient who has high blood pressure. So normal blood pressure, we know, is less than or equal to 120 over 80. So if your patient has one, a blood pressure of 121 over 81, that is technically elevated blood pressure so greater than 120 over 80 is elevated or yeah is technically it's systolics over 120 diastolics less than 80 considered elevated stage one hypertension is a blood pressure of greater than 130 over 80 so systolics greater than 130 and diastolics greater than 80 are considered stage one hypertension and stage two hypertension is greater than systolics greater than 140 and diastolics greater than 90. So how I kind of remember, I just do 120, 30, 40. So if you remember 120, 130, 140, you know that 140 is the highest one, which would be stage two. And you know um, 130... The second one I said is going to be the second highest, therefore stage one. And then I just kind of remember the 80s and then the 90. Um, In order to um, technically diagnose your patient with hypertension, you need at least two different readings at two different visits to diagnose and make sure that you're taking it properly. You know all those guidelines. A question that I had... When I was doing some practice tests, was the United States um, Task Force, you remember that great system, recommends screening starting at age 18 years old. So, yearly screenings starting at 18 years old. So we're going to dive into like the different types of hypertension. So primary or essential hypertension is the most common cause of hypertension and this is going to be your majority of cases and 95% are idiopathic so we don't really know what causes hypertension there's some theories but no one actually really knows a majority of cases what it's caused by and hypertension is known as the silent killer because Symptoms are non-specific, and everyone doesn't really have a specific symptom set, so it's known as a silent killer. Secondary hypertension, this is due to an underlying cause, most often renal artery stenosis and primary aldosteronism. So, those, that primary aldosteronism, I'm only saying that because I did have questions asking that. I feel like renal artery stenosis kind of makes sense. Um, well, to me, I can never forget that. I had a patient on my OBGYN rotation who um, was pregnant and had 
pretty severe renal artery stenosis, so her blood pressures were astronomical. They were like in the, like, 180 over 120 all the time. So, I don't know, renal artery stenosis just kind of always sticks in my head, and primary aldosteronism was a, a few test questions that I saw. You're going to think of secondary hypertension in younger patients or your patients that are refractory to medications. So if the question prompt is giving you a patient in their 20s or 30s, you're probably more look for something else in their history that might point to secondary hypertension. So complications of hypertension, you can get the so CVYs, you can get the heart failure, MI, coronary artery disease. Neuro-wise, you can get TIA, stroke, aneurysm. Nephro, um, hypertension is one of the top causes of end-stage renal disease. So I feel like that's a pretty important topic. So hypertension, one of the most common causes of end-stage renal disease besides diabetes. So diabetes, hypertension causes end-stage renal disease most often. And then, um, for your eyes, you're going to get, you can get retinal hemorrhages, blindness, retinopathy. Remember, hypertensive retinopathy, you're going to see the copper wiring, silver wiring, the AV nicking, cotton wool spots, and in very severe cases, papilledema. So I really remember, you get the copper, silver wiring, AV nicking, cotton wool spots. Um, diagnosis, obviously you're going to take the blood pressure. Some things you want to order when your patient is hypertensive and you're working up this whole condition. You can get an EKG, your analysis, you're going to get an albumin to creatine ratio. You're going to get their total cholesterol and triglycerides. Treatment, this is important. Target blood pressure is less than 140 over 90. So if that should ring a bell in your mind, 140 over 90, what was that? The stage two of hypertension. So the goal, target BP is 140, less than 140 over 90, except in patients that are over 60 years old. Your patients that are older than 60, the goal is a little more lenient. You're going to... Um, try to target BPs under 150 over 90. So anyone under 60 needs to stay under 140 over 90, which is that stage 2 hypertension cutoff. And over 60, 150 over 90. Lifestyle modifications that we can try with our patients. So weight loss, obviously. Exercise. Decrease, well, stop smoking. DASH diet. Um, DASH diet specifically um, talks about limiting sodium intake to less than 1,500 milligrams per day and decreasing alcohol to less than one ounce per day. So the medical management for and drug-wise gets a little bit all over the place. So for this um, episode, I'm really going to focus on, I'm going to actually go through each class of medications, kind of talk about the mechanism of action and talk about side effects you need to look for, because these are, cardiology is the biggest portion of the pants, and these are the medications that a lot of cardiac conditions are treated with. So I feel like 
of any medications to really know the ins and outs of these medications I feel like are the ones you really should spend time on. So treatment of hypertension. In a non-black patient who does not have chronic kidney disease or diabetes, so non-black, doesn't have kidney issues, doesn't have diabetes, you can treat with a thiazide diuretic, calcium channel blocker, ACE, or ARB. So non-black, no kidney disease, no diabetes, you can choose between a thiazide diuretic, a calcium channel blocker, an ACE, or an ARB. If you have a black patient who does not have chronic kidney disease and does not have diabetes, you're going to choose between a thiazide or calcium channel blocker. Remember that ACEs and ARBs do not work as well in the black population, so that's important. So make sure you're paying attention to in the little blurb or history they give you about the patient, oftentimes they tell you the race or the ethnicity. This is a, this for this case, it's important because that really guides your treatment. But anyone who has chronic kidney disease or diabetes, we need to treat with an ACE or an ARB, regardless of race or ethnicity, for renal protection. So this could easily be missed so they give you a black patient and then like you kind of are skimming the history and three lines in they tell you they have chronic kidney disease but you kind of skim over that and you put them on a calcium channel calcium like say because you know in those options they're gonna have all the options to trick you so you really have to pay attention to their ethnicity when treating hypertension and you have to pay attention to their past medical history because even though even if they are black if they have chronic kidney disease or they have diabetes they are getting an ACE or an ARB because you need that for renal protection and then um just a side note most uh, most people with cardiac conditions will often be started on a beta blocker so you can look it up if you want there's a whole list of like um if you go into pants prep pearls kind of gives you like this whole list of like the first line medications i just kind of look at it and most of the cardiac conditions like post mi and um ones that are really like the underlying illness is a cardiac condition they're often started on a beta blocker Okay, so let's go into the medications here. So we'll start with the vasodilators. So your ACEs and ARBs. We're going to start with your ACEs. So your ACEs are your OPRILs. So they're the ones that end in OPRIL. So these work by inhibiting angiotensin converting enzyme. That's what ACE stands for. So they inhibit angiotensin converting enzyme, which converts angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. This is important because angiotensin 2 causes vasoconstriction and aldosterone release. So right away, if you're not making angiotensin 2, since that causes vasoconstriction, you're going to get a little bit of vasodilation. It also inhibits aldosterone. Aldosterone leads to sodium and water retention. So, So... you're going to get rid of some of that sodium and water and you're also going to cause some vasodilation. We know that increased volume 
like we talked about, cardio, go back to our equation. Cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance equals blood pressure. So aldosterone leads to sodium and water retention. So if you're getting rid of some volume, you're going to decrease cardiac output, therefore decreasing blood pressure. It also, so ACEs also inhibit the breakdown of bradykinin. So this all leads to the side effect of chronic dry cough. That's kind of really all you need to know about that. So ACEs are the ones that can cause you to cough. So, so other side effects are angioedema and hyperkalemia. So no aces can call the co- cause the cough. So if you start um so if there is a question it's like you have a patient who was started on lisinopril. They're coming in for a cough for six weeks. And obviously some of the options are going to be like, you need to work them up for a pneumonia. You need to do this. You need to you need to check the medications. If they're on a nopril and anywhere in that prompt it says they have a cough, you should be questioning it. The next one is the ARBs. So these ones end in ARTAN. A-R-T-A-N's your artans. So these also block angiotensin too, but they have no effect on bradykinin, so they do not cause the cough. They also can cause the other side effects are hyperkalemia and angioedema. I, hyperkalemia is kind of important to know because you have a patient, you're inpatient, you just started it, your patient on an ACE, they're all of a sudden their potassium's like through the roof. So that's kind of important to know. And in general, like we said before, we start people with kidney disease and diabetes on ACEs and ARBs because they're renal protective. And they do this because there's a modest reduction in renal blood flow. So that's kind of important. But it's also important to note that even very severe chronic kidney disease, so like I think it's like a grade four kidney disease, so very severe, you actually cannot use an ACE or an R because of this modest reduction in blood flow. Because if the kidneys are so bad, you need that a little bit of increased blood flow and inclu- increased pressure in the arterioles to actually allow the kidneys to work just a little bit. So that is the only case where you don't use them for kidney protection is in very severe chronic kidney disease. Um, next we're going to go through the diuretics. So, like I said before, thiazide diuretics. So, they are kind of actually not, they're weak diuresis effects, but they do this by inhibiting sodium and chloride co-transporters. So, they inhibit sodium and chloride which leads to vasodilation and decreased peripheral vascular resistance. So remember, cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance. So thiazide diuretics are going to cause vasodilation and decrease this resistance. Um, They work in the distal convoluted tubule. So DCT thiazide diuretic. Um, Some side... So drugs, we know hydrochlorothiazide. Some side effects, you can get low potassium sodium chloride. You can get low sodium, low chloride. You can get hyperuricemia. So 
I did find this in some of my musculoskeletal questions. It was like, you have a patient who now was started on, has a, like, medical history of hypertension. They were started on hydrochlorothiazide. They're coming in and their big toe hurts. So that's kind of, that's an important side effect that I would memorize. You can also get high calcium, high glucose, high lipids. So, thiazides. Um, next, other, you can have, um, yeah, that's the, the main diuretic that we use for treatment of hypertension. But at this point in time, I'm just going to kind of go through the other diuretics just so we have them. You can listen to them. Um, you have carbonic anhydrase inhibitors. So these are the PCTs. So DCT, thiazide, PCT, carbonic anhydrase. Um, so these uh, decrease reabsorption of bicarb, therefore decrease sodium reabsorption, um, and give a mild diuretic, diuretic effect. So watch for low sodium and potassium and metabolic acidosis because so they stop the absorption of bicarb they stop the absorption of sodium you know water follows sodium drugs are like acetazolamide next up we'll go to the ascending loop of henley this is where the loop diuretics work you get your greatest diuresis from these they inhibit sodium potassium chloride tran transporters you know water follows them um, and you lose sodium potassium chloride magnesium and calcium these drugs are ferrosamide and taurosamide side effects they are ototoxic they can cause hypotension and hyper hyperuricemia so ototoxic is kind of i feel like one of those big test questions that i mean if i was writing the test that would be the side effect that i would care about most so loop diuretic ototoxic. Um, then to the collecting tubules, you have potassium sparing. These also cause weak diuresis. You have type 1 and type 2. Um, type 1 inhibits sodium channels, therefore inhibiting sodium um, potassium exchange. Type 2, these antagonize aldosterone, which decrease the synthesis the synthesis of sodium channels so these kind of work in a very similar fashion to those aces the way that ace works on aldosterone and this also the potassium sparing diuretic so these drugs are like spironolactone and others um side effects hyperkalemia um, menstrual dysfunction, remember spironolactone can lead to gynecomastia. So just kind of to go over these regions again. So as you're going through, PCT is carbonic anhydrase inhibitor. That's the first part of the um, nephron or the, yeah, that section. I don't know, C is the first, like C carbonic anhydrase. That's the, like... In like alphabetical order, that's the first one. So that's kind of how I remember that. I just remember PCT, carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, DCT, thiazide diuretic. So thiazide, DCT. Ascending loop is a loop diuretic. So I feel like 
that's kind of common sense. No. Um, like, ascending loop. Loop, diuretic. Okay. A collecting tubule is the potassium sparing. Okay, so that's all for the diuretics. Let's go into calcium channel blockers. So the non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers, DILT and verapamil. Diltazolizem, you know what I'm trying to say. DILT. I'm going to call it DILT because I can't say the whole word. Okay. And verapamil. So these are the non-dihydropyridine. Um... So these prevent calcium ions from moving across cell membranes, which leads to smooth muscle relaxation and cardiac contractility and conduction. So side effects of these are bradycardia, GI upset, specifically constipation. That was something that I I saw a lot of quiz questions on. You had a patient that he forgets what heart medication he was started on last week, but now he has severe constipation. Which one of these medications do you think he was started on? It's the non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. You can also get some peripheral edema and AV blocks. AV block is also kind of the similar question. They give you an EKG. Which one of these medications do you think your patient will start it on? Dilt or verapamil. So bradycardia, constipation, peripheral edema, AV block. The dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers, these are your like nacardipine, I just remember them as the epines. They all end in I-P-I-N-E-S. So they have the same action, so they prevent calcium from moving across cell membranes, but they are a more potent vasodilator. Therefore, they're decreasing systemic vascular resistance. Think back to your equation for blood pressure. So they decrease systemic vascular resistance by causing vasodilation, and they can also get a decrease. No, they do not. Sorry. They will not cause a decrease in heart rate, so they do not have these cardiac um, side effects, but they can, they have more likely to cause peripheral edema because they're a more potent vasodilator. So the non-dihydros, bradycardia, constipation, they're going to really affect the heart, mild um, dilation, vasodilation, with some smooth muscle relaxation. The dihydros, potent vasodilators, no decrease in heart rate. Next up, beta blockers. We know these as our alloles. So we have three types, the cardioselective, non-selective, and the partial alpha activities. So cardioselective are the atenolol, metoprolol, esmolol, AME. Um, I, I... yeah, so the non-selective is just propanolol, and the partial alpha activity is labetalol. And oh, so remember, alpha activity, labetalol, non-selective, propanolol, and then cardioselective, atenolol, metoprolol, esmolol. So these antagonize beta receptors, which prevents action of epinephrine and norepi, which leads to a decrease in heart rate. Therefore, side effects are bradycardia, bronchospasm, erectile dysfunction, and they can get a discontinuation symptom, um, syndrome, which can lead to rebound tachycardia and hypertension. 
So, um, cardiac selective ones are less likely to cause bronchospasm, but once again, in general, they can also cause, all of them can cause the other symptoms. Um, so we're going to go into, like, the last, um, medication we're going to go into is not first line, but, um, I did have some questions on it, so I think it's important to to talk about. And these are the alpha blockers. So these are the OSINs, like prazosin, and they cause vasodilation, and they can also increase urinary flow. These are the medications you use with um, BPH. So alpha blockers, BPH causes vasodilation. Side effects are dizziness and syncope. And now we're going to go into um, hypertensive urgency versus emergency. So hypertensive urgency is when you have systolics over 180 or diastolics over 120 without evidence of organ dysfunction. So urgency isn't as important as emergency. I think about it you go to and you would never like if you were having a heart attack or a stroke you would never go to an urgent care you go to the emergency room so something that's more severe go to the emergency room so this is the condition that more severe is the one that has end organ dysfunction so going back to hypertensive urgency so systolics greater than 180 diastolics greater than 120 without evidence of end organ dis function signs and symptoms headache most often treatment gradual let me repeat that gradual reduction of the mean arterial pressure by no more than 25 percent in 24 to 48 hours most often done with clonidine or captopril so um these patients can be discharged so they, if you have a patient that has no evidence of end organs dysfunction, like, well, like they forgot their medications, like they forgot to take their blood pressure medications this morning, and they come in and their um, blood pressure is one eighty eight over one twenty two, but they have no symptoms of it. You can put them back on their home medications and send them home. There's no real reason to keep them in. Just give them strict return precautions. So that's kind of been in some like test questions like do you admit do you start them on IV medications? No, you don't have to. But on the other hand, um dual before so I said clonidine and captopril are the two most common medications we use for hypertensive um urgency. I just want to talk about clonidine is an alpha 2 agonist. So it results in decreased sympathetic outflow. And then, I don't know, maybe I'm just stupid. I had to like look up what that meant. Like I was like, what is decreased sympathetic outflow? Basically just decreases stroke volume and decreases heart rate. And if we remember our equation of blood pressure, um, those two things are important for cardiac output, which therefore decreases blood pressure. So clonity, alpha 2 agonist. Okay, hypertensive emergency, so we have systolics greater than 180, diastolics greater than 120, but now we have evidence of end organ dysfunction. This can be ocular, um, so they could be having vision changes. We can have cardiac ischemia, heart failure, stroke, TIA, encephalopathy. We can have aortic dissection. We can have some renal 
um, syndrome symptoms going on. Treatment. So you're going to map, reduce the map by 10 to 20% in the first hour and by an additional 5 to 15% over the next 23 hours. So I'm just going to repeat that again. You're going to reduce the map by 10 to 20% in the first hour. So map down 10 to 20% in the first hour and then 5 to 15 over the next 23 hours. So not as gradual as urgency. So 10 to 20% first hour, 5 to 15 in the next 23. In general, medication choices, there is a whole long list. Eat, look to me if it's like... um, some of the end or if the end organ dysfunction is neurologic in nature often use nicardipine or labetalol so those two are often used if the end organ dysfunction is cardiac in nature i was seeing beta blockers or nitro being used first and just one last little tidbit, hypertension and pregnancy. The drug of choice are the drugs of choice are methylodopa, labetalol, nicardamine. ACEs and ARBs are contraindicated in pregnancy. So do not forget. ACE ARB contraindicated in pregnancy. Alright. Well that's it for hypertension.